You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What's up, guys? Welcome into Good Morning Lambo. My name is Clayton. You can check us out on Packernet.com. You can find me on Twitter at Packers underscore access. You can email us, Packers Total Access at gmail.com. Text us 865-658-5824. Join alongside Tim live in Green Bay. Ready to get this day started here. Got some diesel in the cup. Got everything cranked up, ready to go here. Several videos keyed up, too. I think this is going to be a fun show, Tim. How you doing this morning, Buck? I'm doing great, Clayton. You got You got your diesel, too? Oh, y'all, yeah, absolutely. Y'all set. I've been up for two hours and we're on our fourth shot of espresso. So we're uh we're keyed up here. You see me, I'm over here twitching. <laughs> you know, uh, we're going the Dan Campbell route today, man. We're out here ready to to buy some kneecaps and, and get this thing cranked up. So, uh, <laughs> Dan anyway. Campbell probably put smelling salt in his coffee. <laughs> <laughs> put it on the ticker. Put it on the ticker. <laughs> Dan Campbell puts smelling salt in his coffee. <laughs> I love it, man. Some of those videos of the smelling salt. By the way, the the Clay Matthews one. Have you ever seen that one? Uh-huh. Well, he's it's super slow motion, and he's like walking toward the sideline, and you can see him put the smelling salt up. And bro, you can see his eyes dilate. Like it, it looks like a monster comes alive. It is wild. I need to pull that up here and, and let you guys see. That is absolutely awesome. We got Eric Sutherland already already started. Here he goes. What did he say, Tim? He says, I drink iced decaf. <laughs> How dare you? How dare you? <laughs> How dare you, sir? Blasphemy. Unbelievable. Who drinks iced decaf? Who? Exactly. Exactly. I know this. People who drink iced decaf coffee, they need to be reminded this on a, on a daily basis. Wash your hands. Wash your butt, man. That's it. That's, that's all. Imagine they... Haven't washed that hair and haven't taken a shower in several weeks. You know what I'm saying? Let's imagine they're of the hippie stature, if you will. But no, it's got my back here. He says Eric put sweet and low on his toast. <laughs> got the most random digs, dude. I and we're off and running this morning. Yeah, there, we go. Go. 
<laughs> All right, let's jump into a, a little a little bit of conversation here. And what we want to try to do every every day on the show, we're going to play some really fun stuff, some cool stuff in the off season. Um, but I want to try to lead off with all right, what's actually going on with the Packers. Take ten or fifteen minutes. If there is news, it'll be a whole episode, right? But just kind of what's the next stage, and then we'll get into some of the history and all that good stuff. We got a history segment queued up for you guys today. Uh, we got a little a uh, little old school flashback to the year two thousand as well. Uh, a play there, so it's going to be a lot of fun. But just first things first. PFF tweeted this out and said. It's at PFF underscore Packer said Darnell Savage, the highest graded safety from the 2023 playoffs with the applause emoji. Um, this is the thing. We talk about it all the time. You're only as good as your last game, right? You talk about leaving a, a good impression on the organization on your way out the door. That's exactly what Savage did. So, you know, I know it's been up and down. You guys know I've been as critical of Savage as anyone. When you look at the safety market, there's a couple of other safeties I would prefer to sign over him. But you've always got to take into consideration the fact that he already knows the system, too. When I say already knows the system, people go, well, you're bringing in a new D.C. If you've been keeping up, there's not going to there's not going to be a whole lot change in this new D.C. OK, with with Jeff Halfley coming in. I, I, I really believe that. I think you'll see a significant increase in man coverage, which isn't a huge deal, because like I said, last year we started playing a lot of single high and we played a, a little bit more man. Um, I think it'll be a significant increase in man coverage. But the other thing is, like, if you look at the defense we played, we would show two high and we would rotate to single high. And as we rotated to single high, 90% of the time, the safety that was rotating into the box was Darnell Savage. So the question is, if you do go to just a pre-snap single high look consistently and you say, okay, here's what we're going to run, which Ryan did an excellent job on his podcast yesterday, kind of breaking down the numbers and showing that, hey, look, if we are going to run San Francisco-style defense or we're going to run the Jets-style defense, which is obviously solid, they played way more too high than we did. And what we mean by too high is post-snap, okay, post-snap, no, no matter what the pre-snap look is, post-snap, your ending point in the defense is if you play single high, you're one safety deep center field, right? And it's either cover one man or it's a cover three defense, okay? Meaning cover three zone, cover three zone match. Now you can run buzz, you can run hard flats. There's a lot of different ways you can attack it, but that's just kind of the, the, the broad spectrum, if you will. When you play too high, right, you've got two safeties on the shelf. It's either two man under or you're playing – uh, quarter coverage or quarter, quarter, half, okay? And and what I mean by quarter, quarter, half, with quarter coverage, first of all, you've got four DBs who are responsible for a deep quarter of the field. That's what you refer to as a quarters coverage or a cover four defense. With a cover six or a quarter, quarter, half, half the field is quarters and the other half is two, okay, cover two. That's why it's quarter, quarter, half or half, quarter, quarter, right? And the reason it's referred to as a cover six defense is because, you know, half the field's cover four, half the field's cover two, four plus two equals six. That's how it got kind of its its nick number there, nickname number, whatever you want to call it. So with that being said, Savage coming back, nothing's going to be different for him. He's already played as the safety that robs in a cover one robber, right, which simply means the safety is going to come down and play that middle zone, right? He's, uh, he's already played um, in the past. He's played that deep center field safety in a cover three or a cover one. However, here lately, they've had him being the guy to rotate in the box. So my question is, if they do bring him back, is he going to be that primary deep safety? Because I think what you will see with Halfley is there's going to be less secondary sugaring. 
Okay. There's going to be less of this show too high, rotate the one, show one, rotate the two high. I think the secondary will be, hey, let's line up and play, get them in position. Let's make sure they have the advantage in that regard. You're going to remove the whole pre-snap reading, but he's going to mug the line of scrimmage, which we've seen a lot of that last year with uh, with um, Barry. And I really think that's why they went to Halfley with this hire. Yeah. Because they looked at what Halfley did, and they go, you know what? He does what we are already doing, right, as far as mugging the line of scrimmage. There was many times you guys see me. I showed double A-gap mug. There was times that it would be a touch spy where Quay would just, you know, he would be in the A-gap. He would touch the center of the guard like he's going to engage, and he would drop back and play a little mid-spy on the quarterback while covering a little short mid-zone, take away those safety valves. So things like that I think are going to be similar principles. I'm just eager to see if they're going to have him play uh, play deep center field. I personally think he's better rotating into the box. Now, this is if he comes back, right? And I don't think it's a slam dunk that he will be back. I just – I kind of get this feeling, Tim, that if they were willing to pay him, you know, almost $8 million last year, they're probably going to be willing to pay him the five that the market shows. Now, keep in mind, there's some voidable years – voided years that are already on the contract. So his cap hit, you're going to have to push some of that down the road to kind of make it make sense. But – what do you think, Manny? Did that trigger any thoughts there when it comes to uh, to Savage? Yeah, you stole my point there. Um, I was thinking the same thing. Um, you know, Halfley likes to uh, kind of, yeah, a little less sugar, a little less of uh, the moving pieces, if you will. He's more of a, hey, let's go out there. This is how we're going to play you. And, you know, go ahead and try and beat us. Um, and you're right, Savage is, uh, you know, well-versed in this type of a system. We also have to talk about the fact that, um, you know, Sav can play in the slot too. And we've got, we've talked about, uh, you know, possibly bouncing him down into slot corner type of role uh, in a pinch. So, you know, he brings some versatility uh, to our secondary and yeah, big shout out to Darnell Savage. He certainly made, uh, made Goody and the boys uh, have a a list of things to think about. You know, we were talking for a while over this past season that, you know, it was basically a foregone conclusion that Darnell Savage wasn't going to be a Packer next year and, you know, enjoy this final season here in green Bay. And, uh, you know, he went out there and balled and, and turned it up, especially late down the stretch. Um, and that's what you want to see from your, from your veteran leaders, you know, you don't fold, uh, down the stretch when you're going on a playoff run and, um, Savage certainly stepped up. So yeah. Uh, you know, the brass at 1265 has got a lot to think about when it comes to um, safety. And um, I think if you're looking at a young group, uh, because really besides him, it's, you know, Ant Johnson Jr. It's not a bad look to keep a veteran guy around if you can get him on a good deal. And, you know, it's not super long term. You talked about void years on these contracts. But if we get him at a decent price and then, yeah, we go out and draft us a couple here. Uh, we have a chance to maybe really build a nice safety room um, with a good veteran leader back there. So I'm all for um, re-signing Dar- Darnell Savage, um, especially if the uh, the money's right, you know, and this is a scenario where we don't we don't have to give him a truckload of money. Yeah, I'm going to try to give you guys just a, a broad look at what that may look like for him. They could go one of two ways. It could just be a one-year deal, which I don't think Darnell would be on board with that. It could be a two- to three-year deal, and I'll show you how the, the contract is currently structured. Let's go to the chat real quick. Paul Robertson says, Packers typically re-sign their own guys unless the other team drastically overpays. Very good point, man. Um, let's see Randy Cleavers in the chat. Good to see you. Hey, you got the logo now, big dog. We figured it out. Good stuff. Member of the PTA posse. Love it. He said, uh, we should sign him now. He wants to be here, and we can get him cheap. You know, the, the fair market value is set at $5 million. 
if you go to him and, and offer him, a, you know, let's say a three year deal. Right. And give him a little bit of extra guaranteed money. You might be able to get that per average, at least in the initial year, down to around four. That would help with avoidable years. We're going to talk about here in just a second. Um, Eric Sutherland says, bring Savage back for the right price and draft this competition. You, you're you're preaching to the choir there, Eric. That's exactly the way I look at it. You can set the floor in the safety room, right? Get you some, like you said, veteran leadership. He's a great locker room guy. Teammates absolutely love him. You see him on the videos. He just seems like one of those dudes that's very positive, right attitude. I'm not going to BS anybody. He's not performed like a first-round safety, right? But that doesn't mean you just scrap him, throw him to the side. If if you've got an Adrian Amos in the safety room right now, I probably feel a little bit different. But right now, all you got is Anthony Johnson Jr. So you've got to kind of look at it like, all right, let's build the floor. Like you said, then you go out and draft a Nubin, you draft a Kinchins, or maybe a, a Kalen Bullock, someone like that. And now you've got some competition in there. I could see that being the approach. Uh, same thing with Jonathan Owens. Everything we're saying about Darnell Savage can be said about Rudy Ford and Jonathan Owens. They'll probably get to test the market a touch, I would imagine, especially Rudy like they did last year. And then if he doesn't get any significant offers, bring him back on another one-year deal. There's a chance you could bring back the same safety room into camp but have one or two safeties added from the draft to create competition and then cut the guys you need to cut, trim it down, trim down the fat as you get toward the end of camp, especially seeing that there could always be some kind of injury, right? So if these guys don't get a lot of play in free agency, you're going to be able to get them on a deal where you could probably cut them and, and you know, absorb a minimal uh, cap penalty of, you know, whatever the guaranteed money would be on a one-year extension, whether it's a hundred grand, 300 grand, whatever it may be, right? Um, so, yeah, agree there for sure. Eric, uh, let's see. Paul Robertson said, I would re-sign him. Need veterans on this young team to keep uh, the cohesion going. It seems like everybody's on board with trying to get Savage for the right price. Fidel says uh, we have three guys. Three guys' decisions has to be made, and I don't think we we let all walk. That's Rudy Ford, Jonathan Owens, Arnold Savage. There you go. Exactly what we were just saying. The age factor. That's the only thing. You know, Jo's getting getting older, and when I say older, I'm speaking in football years. These right, guys right. are all like late twenties; they're babies. But yeah. you know, uh, Rudy Ford, same thing. Um, you know, the thing with Jo that we had an issue with is at least last year is he was brought in to Green Bay to be a downhill guy and a tackler, and we saw kind of inconsistent uh, inconsistencies with him sometimes when it came to making some tackles. I feel like Jo was one of those guys where he was either just blowing guys up, man and just being a monster or he was just whiffing you know there was like no no middle ground with the tackling but you know new scheme um new look back there some new new faces around you never know you see guys a lot of times they can find that that second wind as they uh you know get a little older in their their football careers but um i don't think there's a scenario where all three of those guys are are here i just don't i think that maybe a couple right i mean yeah and I love Rudy Ford. Uh, I really do. And uh, J.O. as well. Um, but I think if we're talking about bringing Savage back and then, um, you know, rolling with some some draft picks or, you know, the youth movement continues, um, I don't know if we can have that many <laughs> that many guys in our safety room. I, I like your idea, though, right? Bring them back to camp. You know, we start with the same kind of look and just let them compete. Right, yeah. And it's just, again – you just kind of when you kind of look at the contracts and how they how they settle here, it's going to play a lot into it. Like when you look at the cap hit, and we're going to come back to Bach here in a minute because Matt Schneidman had a tweet that kind of perked my ears up a touch. But Darnell Savage here, you see, he's not under contract, but the cap hit 
and this year, 2024, is $5.4 million. So what they did was they re-signed him. They tacked on voidable years, and they pushed that money down the line, right? So if we were to pull up, I just grabbed another screenshot. Let me see if I can get it to load real quick. This is actually the structure of those voidable years when it comes to Darnell Savage. So this is how it looks. So 2024, obviously, he's not on the roster. So you see how they spread that out over 20, uh, 25, 26, 27, 28, right? It's all basically around $1.3 million in change over those four years. And him not being back on the roster, and that, that triggers the 19th, I believe. With him not being on the roster, then all of that it accelerates to the current cap year, which is $5.4 million this year. So if they re-signed him, let's say they re-signed him to a uh, – let's say they went three years – um, four million per. Let's say he gave them a little bit of a deal, right? So you would take that four million per and you would spread it out. You could spread it out over the duration of the contract. So he would technically be under contract. Let's just say it's two years. You've got structure, you got the skeleton in place for four voidable years. So you could spread that out over those four years. Keep in mind, he's this year he's going to be 20, he's 27 years old, next year 28, 29, 30, then 31 by the end of those voidable years. So if you did a two or a three year extension at roughly 4 million per, gave him a little bit of extra guaranteed money, you're going to tack on $8 million that you can spread out over those four years, which essentially means you remove that acceleration now, right? And you can kind of bend bend the cap around it to where you can lower the cap hit and spread it out over those four voidable years. That's the way I understand the whole cash over cap voidable years spread out, unless there's something I'm overlooking there. And again, I'm no cap guru, nor do I uh, claim to be one on Twitter. It's just, this is kind of how Spotrack has it laid out. And you can see why there's a big benefit to trying to get him back on the roster. And if it's three years, then that means his last year, he turns 30, you would be cutting him and probably accelerating, you know, anywhere from three to $4 million in cap penalties. So, or dead cap, I should say. Yeah. So uh, that's kind of how it lays out right now. I just wanted to run through that real quick to give you guys kind of a quick snapshot of how that may or may not play out. Now on the box, this is very interesting. And Tim, if you'll kind of keep an eye on the uh, chat for me, uh, if you see anything you like, just mark it and we'll get through it. But uh, we got Emilio in here with us now. So uh, good to Look have you. Look at this troublemaker. <laughs> so Matt Schnobbin put a tweet out said, Brian Gudikins will probably release a clear-cut future Packers Hall of Famer this offseason. Story on who uh, might be protecting Jordan Love's blind side in 2024. He had quote tweeted himself where he had tweeted out 22 hours ago, the Packers will likely move on this season from their longest tenured player, a five-time all-pro left tackle with one year left under contract in Green Bay. So what's next on Jordan Love's blind side, Rasheed Walker again. So he basically takes an article and breaks it down. I want to point that out because some people like to pile on Matt Schnobbin, right? And they, they think he just stirs up trouble. He doesn't know what he's talking about. Guys, he caught, he caught some absolute hell over the Jair Alexander situation. And I want to—I just want to stand on the table for Matt for just a second because he said there's a reason I wrote that article, and everybody was going, "Oh, it ain't it, there ain't nothing wrong. Y'all are just trying to drum up clicks and blah blah blah." The very next week, Jair Alexander was suspended, so he is connected. Make no two bones about it, and he—he's in direct communication with Coach Lafleur. Not saying this information came from Coach Lafleur. All I'm saying is for Matt Schnabel to put out a tweet that kind of. He, he didn't say, hey, it's a guarantee Bach ain't going to be back, right? He did not say that. But you can see he's leaning in that direction, right? There's a reason he's leaning in that direction. Did he talk to Bach's camp? Did he talk to Bach personally? Did he talk to someone within the organization that's a really good source? 
could be, right? What it tells me is they're still pretty far apart on some kind of agreement if that is if if that is even on the table. It, it also could mean the injury is still so far off and there's so many question marks that the organization is leaning towards. We probably just need to cut bait and move on, right? Um, one thing I will say, I went up immediately when something like this happens from one of the insiders. I immediately went over to Spoon, to Tom Silverstein, his Twitter, crickets. So okay. if there had been something there, we'd go, okay. So right here, I think it's just Matt going, hey, without without saying it out loud, he's kind of like, kind of feels like they're probably going to move on. So just wanted to point that out. Now, if we look at box cap hit, right, back to our salary cap structure here. Again, we pointed it out all year long. Uh, Bach is going to be $39.9 million, Let's just call it $40 million against the cap in 2024 if he's on the roster and nothing is restructured. Okay, thank you for that, Tim. Dead cap is $19 million. So you're going to free up over $20 million if you just cut him outright. Now, when you look at the ba- how the structure of his uh, his contract here, base salary ten point seven million, and he's got a roster bonus of nine point five million. What that means is that's his base salary check, right? His weekly check, which is, it's going to be divided up amongst what seventeen games that we play throughout the season. If he's on the week one roster, to the best of my knowledge, that is uh, the roster bonus is guaranteed at nine and a half million. So, what you can do is you can take the base salary and the roster bonus. You can convert that to signing bonus, right? Write him a check on the spot and then spread that out over the duration of the contract. The problem is there's only one year left on box contract. So if they do bring him back, it's probably going to look like passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We get all hyped up thinking we're going to get some high-value Jordan Love card, but with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now, introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view on all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now when I buy slab packs on Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. And honestly, the best thing for me and my son is the fact that we're kind of novices into this. When I walk into a card shop with my son, and a card says it costs $40, kind of just taking his word for it that that's a good value. So I appreciate the transparency on grading, as well as just getting excited about seeing what you could potentially get. Right now, you can get 10% off your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash packdaddy. Wow, that's crazy offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack. That's 40 bucks right there. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash packdaddy for 10% off your first purchase. We all have smartphones, and we all know they're pretty amazing. But they also can be amazingly distracting, especially when we're around other people. So U.S. Cellular wants us to reset our relationship with our phones by putting down our phones for five. That's right, a company that sells phones wants us to put down our phones. And to see what we find, learn more at uscellular.com forward slash built for us. 
slight pay cut, tack on a couple voidable years. Uh, he, you know, he's going to take the pay cut, plus you're going to convert some of the roster bonus-based salary to signing bonus and spread that out over two or three years on a voidable contract. That is if Goody is confident that Bach's going to be healthy and ready to go. I don't feel like Goody feels like that, especially with that presser, right? I mean, we talked about that, guys. It, it was totally different from the way he responded to uh, Aaron, the Aaron Jones question. Mm -hmm. That's true. But going back to, just for a second, going back to the safeties, uh, mm -hmm. didn't Bears release Eddie Jackson, right? So are we, are we dabbling in that at all? Would, would, would we? Let's see here. Hold on just one second. Bang. Deadfish talked about. Mm -hmm. Bears released Cody Whitehair and Eddie Jackson. Um, Eddie Jackson, we can take a look at it. I've never been that impressed with Eddie Jackson, me personally. Right. That's just kind of just thinking off cuff. Um, but let's go take a take a gander at it. Now, people are going, why Why would they sign a, a bear safety? You remember Adrian Amos? I mean, <laughs> there's a little bit of precedent there, right? Yeah. There really is. But I'm going to pull that up real quick. But, Tim, you you and Emilio have a conversation about this. Why pull it up? Well, we, well, we do need to hit this before it gets too far away. Mace Taggart hitting us with the super chat. Appreciate you, Mace. Damn. Morning, PTA, Clayton, Tim, Emilio. Go pack, go. Anything? That's all you can ask for. Middle of February right now, you know. <laughs> yeah. We're still chanting it. And all we right, gotta you got to give one of these for Mace. <laughs> there it is. I got it pulled up now, and and now I know why. On the surface, I was like, I don't know about Eddie Jackson. Here's his PFF grade starting in 2017. Let's hear it. Well, first of all, how old is he? He is now. Let's see, 29 years old, guys. Mm. 29. So, you talking about, you know reaching against the grain and stuff that Goody doesn't like to do, right? Mm -hmm. But if you break down his PFF grades, here it is starting in 2017. 68.3, 93.2, mm. 67.0, 59.8, 59.0, 76.2, and last year, 58.6. So, for yeah. me, that would be a no-go. Yeah. Ron Sample points out in the chat – Jackson played very poorly. Unless you get him on just the screaming deal, right? 75% off kind of thing. Yeah. Pick him up, set the floor. You all about them, dude. You like a, you, you like a, you <laughs> I like Jake that thinks you, Emilio. <laughs> uh, Emilio's that guy that walks by. He walks by and sees a, an old dresser sitting on the side of the road that's just beat all the hell, and he's like, I can fix that. Yeah. Throw it in the truck. <laughs> right? yeah you, you walk past the main aisles, spin around, and check the clearance section. That's where you buy from every day. Right, right. Yes, I am totally on board with that, 100%. <laughs> I love it. We got a bunch of bargain shoppers. How many people in here watch, uh, what is it, American Pickers? Oh, that's a great show. I bet, They're I bet actually from near my hometown. They're actually only about five miles away from where I grew up. Yeah, so nice. like I've been there so many times. It's, it was crazy when they got that TV show. I was like, are you kidding me? I'm pretty awesome. sure they're down in Tennessee right now, too. Clayton. They're going to be in your neck of the woods soon. Uh, well, they can stay the hell away from me. I, listen, I'm fine with what I've got here. And I don't need any anybody to bother me. All right, I'm fine. Like Mandy said, she came to me the other day and she went, "Hey, can I ask you a question?" I'm like, "Yeah." She said, "You realize you haven't left the house in like six days?" <laughs> I was like, "Yeah, I guess, I guess you're right." Yeah, that sounds about right. Isn't it glorious? She she was the look on her face was just disappointment too. Yeah, like, what are you doing up there? Because I'm Mandy, I mean, Mandy you know, came out and said. Yeah, seriously. You haven't even done the spring cleanup of the leaves yet, Clayton. The house is looking a mess. It needs to be mowed already. Oh, yeah, I'm with you, man. Like, yeah. She And she gets on me about that. Hey, should we go clean the creek bank up? And I'm just oh. like, I'm not going to. So quit asking. <laughs> I, 
I'd have been all over that. <laughs> right. So anyway, um, let's do this. So we've we've hit the chat pretty well. We we did the housekeeping. We need to hit on there. Let's uh let's kind of go back into the time machine a bit. You want to? Um, Tim brought this up yesterday. He he was talking. You know, we we showed the Robert Brooks touchdown right the 99 yarder Favre third and 10 on his own one of course let's just chuck it what are you laughing at me what did Eric, Eric Sutherland say oh what you knew it was Eric don't yeah. even read it don't just leave it alone just let it go <laughs> Carly said let's just pretend like he doesn't exist okay everything's oh, fine man. all right so let's go back to November 6th 2000 cold rainy night Monday night football Packers versus Vikings let's just relive it let's just shut up and relive it Lays it up for Freeman, and it's incomplete. It, or did he, he make the catch at the 15? Yes. What are they going to roll it? He caught it. Touchdown. <laughs> he did what? The ref was he, right on there, I think. Oh, man. Man, how did Dishman not intercept it? Well, the Packers are going wild. The crowd's going wild. It, I imagine there's nothing to challenge, but they'll have to look at it upstairs. Hand tack. Well, he's laughing, but let's see what it shows on the replay. It never hit the ground. Gotta love the ref laughing. It hit the right. Antonio Freeman. Wow. Oh. Oh, left you? arm, bring the ball up in the air. And oh, no. That ball is amazing. <laughs> Unbelievable awareness of where the ball is. We are Once again, we are reviewing the play on the field. Ball went through Dishman's hands. He never hit it. the ground. Wow. They're trying to bring the teams back onto the field if they overturn it, but I haven't seen anything to overturn it yet. No, it's just a great fluky play for the pack. Pantac Look hasn't even that. gotten over what, to the Fluky, that was all talent. no contact. Mm -hmm. Dishman didn't even tidy up afterwards. He just assumed that it hit the ground. You couldn't film that scene in a movie and make it look that good. Touchdown. Did you guys see how at the beginning they had the, the teams abbreviated? It was bikes versus pack. That was kind of funny. Yeah. A lot of wet heads here tonight, too. This is a heck of a play by Dishman. It's just wild. Absolutely wild. And then a great play by All right, we got the reaction coming up right here. They're going to they're gonna say it was a tutter. I'm happy for Mike Sherman. He's a good guy, and he's off the hook now on that ball. Favre to Freeman. 48 times they've combined for touchdowns. Never oh, with any more drama than this. Oh. And it is a... I feel like they get better camera angles then than they do now. <laughs> I'm telling you, dude. Right there. That is a big... They probably actually had people play. that were watching the action. And yeah, look at this, dude. He's, he's right there. He I love it, off, And when they get off and they... Are hitting magical things happen. That's a leap, too. That was yeah. Ruling on the field stands. Touchdown. Pretty good. Refs like I'm out of here. I mean, that was impossible. Yeah. Look, Denny Green can't believe it. No doubt. Wow. The ref, the ref is colder than a well digger's yeah. there, man. The ref was laughing. Was and then was like, dude, I am getting out of here before some Vice fans try to just. <laughs> exactly. Do you guys remember where you were 
when that happened? Do you do you remember Tim? I know you you were probably pretty young, wasn't you, Emilio? But yeah, I was five, so probably <laughs> just tearing up the house. Emilio Cutlets over there. <laughs> Tim, do you remember? Do you remember watching that? Jumping up and down, screaming in my living room because when when Favre let that go, I was like, oh my god, it's picked. I'm like, oh my god, it's picked. Another another Brett Favre picked off ball in overtime. And luckily, Freeman never gives up on the play. Great awareness. Great bobble by uh, the Minnesota DB there. And yeah. the rest is history. But, yeah, no, I would have been, uh, I don't know, about 18, I think. Something like yeah. that, 18 in 2000. Mm-hmm. So probably your mom's living room, screaming, yelling, watching that one. But, um, man, yeah. that's the uh, the mystere of, of uh, Lambeau Field right there. You know, oh, Lombardi yeah. and the. And uh, the the legends of Lambo were there that night for sure to make that happen. Because if that ball, if that DB hangs onto that ball, we're we're having a totally different conversation, right? Yeah. SDM forty in the chat said, "Crown their asses." Of course, he's talking about the late great Denny Green. Bears yeah. are who we thought they were. <laughs> and that's why we took the damn field. Now, if you want to crown them, then crown their ass. But they are who we thought they were, and we let them off the hook. Oh, I love it, man. Legend. I love it. Wow. Hey, I'm, am I the only person that at the end of football on Sunday, when we get done with the postgame show, I put it on NFL Network just to hear the press conference because you never know when the next Jim Mora Jr. is going to happen. You never know when the next Denny Green is going to happen. I just love watching that stuff. Hey, let's go inside and do a little chalk talk on it. You want to? Let's break the play down real quick. Okay. We'll take just a second, all right? Yeah. We're going to be quick with it. Carly, you got any thoughts on it, first of all? Um, no, (laughs) no, I'm excited. I'm excited to learn something. All right, here we go. So again, I apologize. It looks like the Zapruder film, but it is what it is. All right. This is old. This is the best version I could find. There was one. It looked like it had the old VHS marks on it too, but Mm -hmm. we'll do the best we can with what we got. So again, it was a third and four play overtime, obviously uh, sudden death back then. If I remember correctly, Uh, the Packers come out in what we call 11 ace tray left half pro right 546 X fly T shoot. So, 11 ace, you've got one running back, one tight end. It's going to be a strong left look, right? The tray left, what tray is, you you typically have trips and tray. Trips is when you have three wide receivers to one side of the formation, okay? If you hear tray, it means you've got two wide receivers and a tight end to that same side. That's the difference between trips and tray, okay? So that's why it's tray left. Obviously, the tight end's on the left side. Half pro right. Some people would call this T-wing. They would refer to that as a team, a T-wing. What I like to do, I, th- I feel like more information, the better. Okay. If I hear T-wing, then I would need to hear T-wing right. I'd also be thinking, okay, wing is kind of up here, right? That's a little, mm-hmm. little bit further back in depth. We've talked about the old Mike Holmgren pro sets, right? And, of course, this was Mike Sherman. Sugar Bear was the head coach at this time. But – You know, the pro set would look like that. You would have two running backs in the backfield, split backfield. They would call that a pro set, right? So the fact that this – you've only got one running back and he's to the right like that, I would refer to this as half pro right, okay? Now, 546, what is 546? 546 is the numbers correlating with the routes from the route tree. You've got a five route, which is going to be an out route, okay? So up here up top, you go from left to right with the number system, right? There's your five route. You've got a four which is a curl. He's going to kind of work here and just create a little bit of separation and sit down, okay? And then you've got your six route, which is a dig, 
which is going to be basically why dig. If we had a route concept, let's say they had a wolf concept on the top. This play, I would refer to it as 11 ace, tray left, half pro right. I would say wolf, right? Wolf, why dig is what I would say. But seeing that there's no passing concept name for the out with the curl on the inside with the uh, the number the number one being the out, the number two being the curl. That's why we're using a numerical system here, okay? And it's old school. So there's your dig from the Y. That's the six aspect of the 546. And then you got X fly. How do you identify the X? We talk about it all the time, right? Where's the tight end? There's your tight end. The X is on the line of scrimmage opposite the tight end, okay? So this will be your X. He's just going to run a fly. Obviously, that's Antonio Freeman. And then you got a T shoot, which is basically just a diagonal route just just run diagonally towards the sideline. It's not really one of these flats. It's not a uh, an out or what we refer to as a cut or a uh, a cut or a sneak route out of the backfield. This is called shoot. Okay, so again, eleven ace tray left half pro right five forty six x fly t shoot. That would be the play call. So let's roll it here. We'll try to go slow motion a bit. Favre drops back. First of all, look at what the defense is doing. We'll be real quick. We won't spend a whole lot of time on this. Look how many guys they're firing here. They're playing man coverage. Favre knows it's man coverage. There's one safety off screen. You can't see him. He's back here somewhere, right? So Favre is looking at, okay, is it single high? You already get the robber in place. What are they doing here? They kind of run a little delay blitz. So as they roll the as we roll the tape, look, they're firing. Right? Look how many guys are blitzing. So Favre knows right here. It's a cover one blitz, essentially, right? So he's got a couple of options. He could try to work the out route up here up top, right? <laughs> you could work the out. You could try to work the sit. You could try to work the Y dig. But look at far. But it's Brett, and he's going deep. Forget Brett, it. As soon as you've seen that blitz coming, Brett's like, let me just sprint right and throw a lollipop up here. And they're either <laughs> going to love me or they're going to hate me. Nothing in between, right? So you see the shoot route. It kind of gathers information here. You see this guy going with the shoot, so you know it's going to be cleared out pretty well. It's just, hey, you got one-on-one. -on -one, give your guy a shot to, to make the play. He's just going to chuck and duck right there. Hey, you see, uh, watch the right foot. Look look at Brett's delivery of this football and tell me if this doesn't look familiar. I'm telling you, man. Look at that fadeaway throw. Yep. Looking just like Jordan Love. Who knew that Brett Favre molded his game after Jordan Love? It's almost <laughs> as if – Favre and Rodgers and Love had the same quarterbacks, Coach. I'm telling you. This is my favorite part right here. If, if Once we get it back on the replay, let's speed it up. I'm going to try to make it quick. Well, it That was an all-out blitz, Clayton? They were, were that, was that a zero? I thought it was cover one if I counted, if I had the hat count right. Let's take it back just to make sure. Because it looked yeah. like – You're right, man. There's no there's no safety there. I'm zero blitz. Oh, my gosh. That's <laughs> the ref back there we're seeing. Oh. Well, let's count them off here. Maybe I maybe I missed one. So you've got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Yeah, you're right. Zero. Oh wow. So yeah, they just bring this the the single high. They just bring him in and blitz. Right, so was he yeah. saw the zero blitz. He just started drooling. All right, deep for ball all, for all those Packer fans saying, "I want a more aggressive defense." There you go. Yeah. <laughs> this you is what sure about that. <laughs> I so can I, can I ask a question to understand this better? Yeah, absolutely. So since it's a zero blitz, so everybody's coming for the, you know, for the quarterback. But then, why is the one the one guy on the bottom of the screen there in man, like following the wide receiver? Did, wouldn't that mean that he would blitz too, or is it one of those like if he goes this far, then you break off and follow him? You talking about the guy I've got circled? Yeah. 
No, no, he's he's got a he's the only person that can stop this this receiver right here. If he blitzes here, right? If he fires there, this guy's left completely uncovered. Yeah, zero blitz just means there's no help. There's no for, safety up. There's top. no safety help in the back at all. Right. So oh, yeah, everyone's, everyone's manned up. You got to cover at least the, at least the receiving man, and then and then you're good to go. Yeah, and look at this. Oh, look there's at this no joke. one. There's no one with like zone. There's no one with zone responsibility. None. None on this play. Yeah. Okay. Look at this Joe Barry special up top too. <laughs> Did you see that? And then the bottom ones right up, bump and run. I love it. Exactly. So I'm going to try to line this up for you, Carly, so you can kind of see what we're talking about. These lines are showing who is in man coverage. Okay. So with the T, if I remember correctly too, I think the linebacker goes with the T, the outside linebacker here. They're in a nickel two four five is what they're showing. So you got two down linemen, you got two guys mm-hmm. standing up rushing off the edge. I'm pretty sure he's in man coverage there. So I'll do the blitz. I probably should have done it opposite, but that's okay. Let's do the blitzes in red here, okay? So obviously, blitz, 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 blitz. So they kind of what they did was more of like a will. They could have been playing, you know, they may they have been may have been a four three base at the time. I don't know what Minnesota was running. They could have been in some kind of under or some kind of over here, but nonetheless, that's that's what your coverage is right there. So they're bringing one, two, three, four, five, right? They're firing five. And everyone else is in man coverage. See, that's that's where the numbers aren't really matching up for me. Let me see. I'm missing a defender somewhere here. If he's in man, he's in man. Are they? We counted eleven, right? Yeah, no, definitely. Yeah. So okay, there you go. So yeah, just a zero look. So again, as we roll it, we're going to get into a better angle here in a second to where uh, you can actually see the catch a little bit better. I think it zooms in and it gets a little clearer, but that corner, I mean, he's on an Island, right? He, he played right. it really well, to be honest with you. Like you couldn't ask for him to play it any better. And Favre just did more of a, like, I'm just going to throw it up, put some air under it. So my guy can have a shot at making the catch. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm I, want 34. You, <laughs> I want you guys to see this juke though. Look at sugar bear. Can't believe it. There's a drunk Eric Sutherland right there. You're 2000. <laughs> the official is what cracked me up. Look at that look right there, man. It doesn't get any better than that. What's the, what's the official? He's like, ah, it sucks for you, bro. <laughs> That's a catch. <laughs> Love it. So, again, gets hand on it. Off the shoulder pad, off the back, whatever you want to say. Antonio Freeman grabs it. I love watch this right here if they'll show it. Look at this juke. Whoop. You see that little flash? Yep. It's hard to see from that angle. We're going to get you a better angle here. That is just far chucking Doug, man, all day long. Horrible throw, to be honest with you. <laughs> yeah, drastically underthrown. What's this? What's this juke right here? Oh Lord, have mercy! <laughs> yeah, what? I love it. Whoop! And he gone. So anyway, here's a better angle too. Like you said, Emilio, the camera work was way better in 2000. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. They're too busy trying to zoom in on people's faces and get the emotion of the game today. Mm-hmm. And really the fans are going, would you shut, stop talking, zoom out and let me see what actually happened. Yeah. We, we don't care that he and his, you know, his aunt grew up two miles away from where we're playing today. And she worked at a grocery store for three years to, mm-hmm. and it's like, shut up. Let's, let's talk about what's happening on the yeah, field. Yeah. Take that sky cam, turn it into the Madden cam and <laughs> call it a day. Exactly. Exactly. It just brings back so many, so many awesome memories, man. Got a Mon Green right there, isn't it? Is that a Mon Green? I think it was. Maybe. I know that was someone else. I'm on Green. When was he drafted? I'm trying to think. Or when they got him from Seattle. It was it might have been 2000. I think it was a little later though. I do like that pro right though. I, I I think I think Matt LaFleur could dabble with something like that under center. I'm all about it, dude. All about it. So they're just gonna show the same angle over and over. We'll get back to the 
to the stream here. But I, I just thought it'd be cool to kind of highlight that, take a look at it, go back in time. But yeah, I'm with you on the pro right or the half the half pro right. Um, it, it causes another thing it'll do too is like if you're coming out in that in that whether you're in a trip set quad set whatever you want to run, and you've got that half pro right you're going to force that linebacker, whoever's covering him, to split out just a half a yard more. And that might create the separation you need for a drive concept on the mm-hmm. back side, right? So, um, yeah, I, I just love going back and seeing how how the game has changed, you know. it, it Yes, it it's cyclical. Stuff go, comes and goes, right? You're seeing more and more double sidecar today. That's really what a pro set is. It's just teams are choosing to do it, you know, out of the uh, – Right, out of the gun today, or the pistol. Some in some cases, right? They'll they'll go pistol with a with a half sidecar, and then they'll turn around and go, you know, basically a, a shotgun pro set, which we refer to as just, you know, gun twelve, double sidecar, gun twelve. You can, you know, some people say double wing. I don't believe that's the technical terminology, but um, again, you're not if you if someone wants to disagree with how someone breaks a play down or the formation name or the route concept or the, or the nicknames for this specific passing concept, you got plenty of material. You could take anything that you could take former pro players who are breaking down a play and go, well, you know, it's actually called this because someone called it that back in Podunk university in 1987. And it's like, why are, why is everyone so quick to argue over what the play actually is called? Like, mm-hmm. Call it what makes the most sense to you. And like I said, I just created a way to break down plays that make sense for me where I'm, I'm putting out more information rather than less, right? In the huddle, that play call could have been, hey, guys, we're going to go we're gonna go half pro right Duncan. And that could have – everybody knows what their assignment is, right? So um, it could have been really that simple for sure. It is cool to see that the defense was in a 2-4-5 too. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's wild, man, because – yeah, it, everything comes and goes, man. Um, that's the that's the game of football. That means so you're saying we're going to see Jordan Love do you know seven step drops under center now? <laughs> hey, kind of seen it last year with that fatal uh-huh. throw, man. From time to time, right? Just uh, wild stuff. Anybody got anything else they want to hit on that specific play? Good. You got any more questions, Carly? Anything else? No, I'm going to have to go and watch that about 20 times to really understand all of it. But, no, it was cool. <laughs> I get it. It's really straightforward. It's simple. It, 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 there was no run-pass option. There was, you know, the there was no play action. There was a little sprint ride action, but that was more of far. As soon as the ball was snapped, he seen the zero blitz and was like, crap, let's get out of here, mm-hmm. you know, and just started to bail and, and basically go against every single – coaching recommendation that's given to him since he was 10 years old, which is don't throw off your back foot. Don't, you know, all those things. That was far. Arm was one of those quarterbacks that got better. The more you pressured him though, I think Oh, absolutely. you you get in there and you, you know, give him a few shots and he's taking these hits and the other team's thinking like, Oh, we're getting to him, man. We're, we're pressuring him all day. And it's like, yeah, but he's got four touchdown passes and he keeps getting up asking for more, (laughs) you know, Brett was the man And, and Freeman too, you know, he was so quick and had uh, great hands and just elusive, like you said, Clayton, there at the end with the the little juke. If he doesn't cut that back uh, to the middle, mm-hmm. probably gets tackled mm-hmm. down there near the three-yard line or something, and we're we're having a different conversation. But, that, uh, and, you know, Antonio Freeman's one of those players, like he was – he's he's way underrated, in my opinion, in the history of the Packers. Like here's his career numbers, starting in 95, okay, 106 yards, one touchdown. Uh, 933 yards, nine touchdowns. His second year in the league in 96, right? 
was nine, 933 yards and nine touchdowns. His third year in the league, 97, 1,243 receiving yards with 12 touchdowns. Like those are that you're getting into Devontae Adams numbers right there, right? 1998, 1,424 yards receiving with 14 touchdowns. 1999, he dropped back to 1,074 with six touchdowns. 2000, he had 912 yards with nine touchdowns, 818 yards with six touchdowns, 600 yards with four touchdowns. And then, of course, in 03, it was pretty much over. He was 31 years old, uh, 141 yards, uh, no touchdowns. So you can kind of see when we talk about a player approaching 30, right? I mean, look how it drops off as soon as he hits, really when he hit 29, right? Starts going downhill, 30, then, of course, 31, he was just – kind of irrelevant, right? The legs start to go. Um, yeah. It's another reason to point out, like when we talk about re-signing some of these players, I think it's ideal to re-sign a player through his 29th year, okay? Meaning 29th year on the earth, not 29 years. And we're not talking about Sammy Ball here, okay? He hasn't been in the league for 29 years. So when if you got him under contract to 29, it gives you an out at the age of 28, and you're really covering yourself from that decline, right? You can sign him through 30, if you've got them under contract through 30, by the time you get to the, you know, them being 29 years old, you can probably free up a ton of cap space by just cutting bait in year 29. That's why we talk about when you see these contracts, someone may be under contract till they're 31, but really, depending on, you know, if it's a four year deal, it's really just a two to three year deal because they can free up a ton of cap by just getting out of the contract and absorbing a minimal cap penalty, right? But in the playoffs, Antonio Freeman really shined. 95, obviously, he's still young, 43 yards and uh, no touchdowns. 96, you see the ring there, so that's the Super Bowl ring, Super Bowl year, right? He had, in the playoffs, nine catches for 174 yards and two touchdowns. That's pretty significant as a young player, second-year player. In 97 in the playoffs, didn't get the ring that year. But look, he dominated, 308 yards, three touchdowns. Like what? I mean, he was averaging over 100 yards a game in the 1997 playoffs. Yep. Uh, 98 looks like he uh, he only played one game there, 75 yards and two touchdowns. Um, look at him in 2001. I mean, that's that's playoffs there too. In 2001, he had what 13 catches, 148 yards, and three touchdowns. I know that that's that's that playoff Romeo Dobbs number right there, man. I was just gonna say that that was you know that was Freeman. He was the man beater. You know, go ahead go ahead and play man on uh, on free and see what happens. You're gonna get torched. Definitely. Right. Yeah. I love man. Love walking down memory lane like 10 yards 10 yards plus per touch like yep. come on now yeah and you know talking about getting you know starting to get away from players as they as they near 30 that's not an indictment on antonio freeman or any of these any of these guys it's just a simple fact of the the game that we love you know you, you go out there and beat the living hell out of your body for a few years you know by the time you're you know emilio's age in the nfl you're starting to feel like me and clayton feel right now <laughs> and uh you know, it, it, teams have to look to the future. That's why we're always looking at the next next group of young talent. But, um, man, just phenomenal to see that. Um, I'm glad we put some spec on Antonio Freeman's name Absolutely. for sure today. Absolutely. And just a stand-up dude, he does he does uh, Lambeau Field tours from time to time. I've got a chance to meet him a couple times. Just a fun-loving, laid-back. I actually got to meet at Lambeau Field autograph session. I got to meet Robert Brooks and Antonio Freeman at the same time. And uh, got on, got a few autographs. That was actually, if I remember correctly, I was there for the Monday Night Football. Aaron Rodgers' very first start as the Green Bay Packers quarterback, starting quarterback. So I remember standing in line. This is on Sunday, if I remember correctly. Sunday, 
standing in line for the autographs, me and Mandy, and looking up in the pro shop and watching one of the TVs, and Brett was playing for the Jets. And I just remember sitting there going, what the hell is going on? <laughs> like I never thought I would see this day that Brett Favre was playing a game for the Jets. I'm standing in Lambeau Field getting ready to get autographs from Robert Brooks and Antonio Freeman. And I, I almost pulled a, a, a Bill Tobin here, right? I think that was his name. The, who the hell is Mel Copper anyway? I was, <laughs> who the hell is Aaron Rodgers anyway? <laughs> you know, I remember everybody looking at that screen too and shaking their head going, boy, I hope they know what they're doing. I hope they know what they're doing. Because people were pissed that we moved forward with Rodgers, right? So, um, obviously, the next next day we come out. I'll never forget that first pass. Rodgers chucked that thing up to Jennings. And the guy next to me, I will never forget it. Before that play, he says, let's see. All right, let's see what this kid can do. You know, I'm like, yeah. And he dropped back play action. And he threw that ball, and all our heads went like this. <laughs> and it dropped in the bucket. And that guy looked at me and grabbed me by the shoulders, drunkard and a skunk. He said, Brett, who is what he screamed in my face? <laughs> and the rest was history, dude. It was the rest of the game. He throws crossbody to Corey Hall. I've got that video recorded from the stand. Mm. Then I got the – I was in the – in the corner of the end zone where he does his first Lambeau leap after the quarterback sneak, got him spiking the ball, doing the Lambeau leap. I remember sitting in the airport in Milwaukee the next day, getting ready to get on the plane, go back to Tennessee and, and just thinking, what just happened? <laughs> it was just wild, man. Absolutely wild. Something else that happened in that game. You guys know, uh, what's his name? Uh, is it Ziggy Wolf? The guy who owns the Minnesota Vikings. Am I thinking right? Is his name Ziggy Wolf? Anyway, whoever owns him, owns the Vikings, he came walking out of the tunnel, and I'm like 10 or 12 rows from the field. He come walking out of the tunnel, and a bunch of fans on the front row, Packer fans, are going, Ziggy, 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 Mr. Wolf, Mr. Wolf. He had this sweet Minnesota Vikings leather jacket on, and he kind of looks up at them and is trying to ignore them. They're like, come on, come on. And he goes over to shake their hands, and I swear, all in unison, all five of those fans, when he got to them and put his hand out, they all went, oh. <laughs> I would. I was thinking this is the place to be, right next to the players' tunnel, corner of the end zone. It was awesome, absolutely. That's awesome. on my bucket list, man. I want to. I want to sit down there for sure. Lam Lambo leap territory. Yeah, this wasn't the leap territory, but I was right on the goal line. Like, I don't know. I, I can't remember how close we were to the field, but it was just one small section between us and the players' tunnel. So we were like perfectly even on the goal line. And that's, like I said, where Rodgers did his sneak. It couldn't have worked out any better. So, anyway, there you go. Walk down memory lane. Um, do you guys got anything else you want to talk about? If not, we'll queue up a history segment here, or we can just save it for tonight, too, whatever y'all would rather do. It's up to you. I have just a quick, I have just a quick thought on that video. Mm -hmm. um, it it really does kind of show for me, like, how how much a difference like the height of a of a quarterback can make like the ability to see over all of that to realize there was no safety behind and so that he could yes. even attempt that throw um it was just yeah you don't really with the angles it's really hard to see how you know how tall um how tall a quarterback is or whatever but i can just i can see how it impacts their play style whereas if you couldn't see that you probably wouldn't want to even and try that because you have no idea what's back there and yeah. probably influence brock purdy a bit during the, the super bowl is what i'm thinking yeah, and being able to see that. And then think about this too, Carly. We talk about like you, – you've heard me talk about on Chalk Talk this past year. Let's make that guy play from the well, make him throw from the well, right? And what I mean is – I mean, you guys, you're up in Wisconsin, but I'm sure you're back in the country too from time to time. If you've ever been down in a well, right, 
I mean, you're just completely covered. You can't see out of a whale. You're just, you know, like everything, the border is completely around you here, right? If you force a quarterback to step up in the pocket and you've got his big offensive lineman being pushed back around him in the whale, right? And then you've got defensive linemen throwing their hands up in those throwing lanes. You're talking about how difficult it is to see, okay, just see over the line is what's the safety doing. Imagine now on a three-step drop or a five-step drop stepping up in the pocket to deliver a throw and you're having to throw out of that well, you really got to pick your throwing lanes. You know what I'm saying? It's yeah, it's huge. Yeah, it makes total sense. And you got people like Drew Brees, Doug Flutie, that were great quarterbacks that were, you know, six feet or in some cases a little bit shorter, uh, and they made it happen. But it's, yeah, you got to kind of play to the the numbers there and say, you know, it's ideal to have someone at least six two. And, and that's why when you get someone who is really tall, it's like, you know, so much easier to make those throws, do it on time, and, and not have to create those throwing lanes, right? So, um, yeah, that's a, it's a good point. It really is. And, you know, some of the helmet cams, I know there's a Tua helmet cam out there. You get a chance, go to YouTube and find it, Tua Tonga Bailoa. If you go watch his helmet cam for training camp and see what he sees from the quarterback position, it is totally – you know, we're watching the game from these broadcast cams and all 22s and – when you see what they actually see from their helmet cam, I don't know how they do it. I really don't. It's just wild. So, yeah. All right, cool. Anybody else got anything? Uh, Tim, Emilio, what y'all got, man? Nothing, man. Nothing. All right. <laughs> we're, ready, we're ready for the history segment. Do y'all want to do it or do you want to bend it over? It's a 53-minute mark. Your call. How long is it? Do it. Do it. All right, let's do it. It's about about eight minutes long. I'm trying to keep them eight minutes or under, okay? So it's a little long. We'll just get y'all's quick take afterwards, and then we'll get out of here. So we're going to pick up where we left off, right? This is from the Packers Legacy documentary. So we we kind of laid the foundation. Curly Lambeau, he played at East Green Bay High. He goes to Notre Dame, comes back home, um, obviously because of sickness, and uh, comes back home. He meets George Calhoun, and they get together and say, hey, let's create a a football team, right? A town team, if you will. There was, there's always been town teams since the late 1800s, but this was kind of let's form one up and let's get serious about it. So Curly Lambeau, George Calhoun, their names are mentioned. Now you're going to hear a guy named Andrew Turnbull. Okay. Andrew Turnbull was vital for the, the early stages of the Green Bay Packers. He almost acted as like the first businessman to step in and go here, knucklehead, step back a second. George Calhoun over smoking cig- cigars and half drunk. Curly Lambeau chasing women around and playing football. So Andrew Turnbull was the adult that stepped in. You'll hear his name, and then you'll also hear uh, another guy by the name of Dwyer and how they kind of rallied around helping him. He was a young player on the team, but let's check it out. Green Bay Press-Gazette is fully immersed in the happenings. My grandfather was a lawyer in Green Bay. He got the idea of starting a paper called the Free Press. He later merged it with the the Gazette, and it became the Press-Gazette. Andrew Turnbull, who was the publisher of the Press-Gazette, was a big promoter of the Packers from the get-go. Turnbull became one of the key architects of the corporate side of the Packers. Green Bay Press-Gazette had more to do with the Packers surviving in the 1920s than the Packers did. The standing behind the Packers is just part of making Green Bay something special. They had no employees other, other than Curly Lambeau. All their other work was done by volunteers, the businessmen in town. Actually, the Press Gazette served as the Packers' offices throughout the 1920s. The paper is writing about a team it is basically running, and its editors have a front-row seat. What George Whitney Calhoun does for this town football team, he really drums up interest in them. He knew 
that the Packers are going to be a big item for the Green Bay Press-Gazette. His primary job is to write stories for the Press-Gazette, to get Green Bay excited about the Packers. Calhoun was de facto the marketing manager for the Green Bay Packers, and my dad was right there working for him. They would literally call up the sports writers and the editors and shill, the Packers are coming to town, you know, it's gonna be a big game, sell some tickets. The games that they played, they liked to hype them up. They certainly sold papers for the Press Gazette unlike any other event in Green Bay, so it was a symbiotic relationship in that sense. Cal could tell story after story after story about the Packers. He always got good coverage every city he went to. Cal was the first PR person for the, for the Packers, there's no doubt about that. He writes all kinds of publicity materials. He reaches out to other teams, he gets information. When the Packers are finally in a league, he's the contact to the league. The two people that are responsible for starting the Green Bay Packers, Curly Lambeau and George Calhoun, one's a, a PR guy that spins the story and the other is a habitual liar. Curly knew he was lying. I want to say this real quick, guys. When I told you to go watch Leatherheads, when they started to create and produce that movie, the original plan was to make it about, you know, this era of football. And they wanted it to be about the Packers. This is what I heard behind the scenes. They wanted it to be about the Packers. And if you look at the characters, you guys remember the manager that was taking up the money and kind of kind of managing the team. He was walking around with a cigar, a little bit overweight on the sideline. Remind you of George Calhoun, right? George Clooney's character, the the you know the the older player that's always cheating the rules and getting in trouble, Curly Lambeau. Now they ended up not getting approval, from what I understood, and that's why they just called them the Duluth Bulldogs. But it was originally kind of those two characters were geared around Curly Lambeau and George Calhoun. Now on the opposite side, the Bullet that was supposed to be Red Grange, if I remember correctly. So Red Grange obviously played for the Bears, so they took two different stories and kind of melded them together through a love story. And that's why I like that movie. I think that movie is great because next time you watch it, think of that manager, the brash manager smoking the cigar on the sideline. Think of George Calhoun and then George Clooney. Think of Curly Lambeau. To you, but he was so good at it. You just wanted to believe him and you wrote it down and wrote it as though it was the truth. What he told when he was being honest or not, you're not exactly entirely sure. Who knows what? the real truth was. Remember how dishonest George Clooney was in the movie? He was always lying to people. That's, I'm telling you, man, that's what it was supposed to be. Green Bay citizens who stand witness to these early seasons could never have imagined the Packers would ever reach beyond the Fox River. At this point, the Packers are nothing more than an alumni team, a majority of them former East High and West High players. 12 of whom played in the East-West game in the fall of 1916 in the same class as Lambeau. In other words, he is forming the Packers with former high school friends. 1919, these guys are going to play football, the Indian packing team. Green Bay is a city of 30,000. It's not a big city, so there are not a lot of places to play. Teams arrange their own schedules. Games are announced week to week. Playing fields are town parks or sand lots. Packer home games are played in a roped-off section of Hagemeister Park. It was a big area that covered um, an area that we know today as Joannes Park and East High School. First season, they were selling snake oil football, basically. But it's football, and it's in Green Bay.
They played in an open field with no bleachers. There wasn't a whole lot they had to do other than find some teams willing to come here and play. Their first game, September 14, 1919. The Packers played their first game at Hagenmeister Park against the Menominee North End Athletic Club. Packers' first opponent sounds like a fairly formidable football team. There's not a lot known other than they defeated them very easily, 53 to nothing. The Menominee Herald leader identified it as the Leannis Colts, which was just a neighborhood team that had been put together in a couple days. Curly Lambeau, as the best player and captain, called the plays on the field. You couldn't play, call a play from the sidelines. On the field by the captain. And he was captain and star. The team was built around him. Lambeau was the first and only coach that made the forward pass his basic offense. Most of the coaches, uh, your running game is your basic offense. But in the case of Lambeau, he was a passer himself in high school. The ball was fatter, made it harder to pass. The rules were stacked somewhat against the pass. You had to throw five yards behind the line of scrimmage. If you threw incomplete in the end zone, the ball went over to the other team. The Packers closed their first season 10-1, and outscoring their opponents 565-12. to and you wonder, well, how did they outscore them so easily? They're putting these games together almost on the fly. The only loss, their final game to the Beloit Ferries. And the Packers actually lost their one game six to nothing in a very controversial way. The Packers had three touchdowns called back um, by a local official by the name of George Zip Zabel. The Green Bay Press has a headline that screams, the champions were robbed by official Zabel. One of the interesting things about that 1919 team, some of those players played with the Packers and then played college football later. That first season, winners on the field, losers at the bank. There was no way to collect admission. There was no fence. There was just a rope around Hagemeister Park. Calhoun and others had passed a hat, hoping people drop some spare change in it to pick up a little cash to live on. The first year, 1919, they didn't make any money. They said, if you like the first half, put something in the cap and for the second half. The ball players used to get their 50 cents a day out of the game, but they're still out there participating and sacrificing their life for the game of football. 1920, things change. Neil Murphy, a local typewriter salesman, is named business manager. He took care of the scheduling of the teams, arranging with the managers of who would meet who and where on what dates, kept charge of the money. Murphy's first order of business is to get permission to build a fence around Hagemeister Park. Without a fence around a field where you got an athletic contest going on, it's pretty tough to charge admission. How do you build a fence? You get lumber donated, and you have the Green Bay Press-Gazette put an article in the paper. All those interested in a fence around the field, bring your hammers to Hagemeister Park. Murphy gets the fans out to build this fence so he can charge them to walk through on Sundays to watch the games. Uh, ingenious. Dad was on the sidelines getting the gate receipts, handling all the things that you have to do. He played a very underrated 
and very important role in Packers history. Because the Packers made money in 1920. The team made $6,000. Packers players play on Sunday for the sum of change in their pockets as they continue to work nine to five jobs to make a living. When needed, fans willingly dig into their pockets for their Green Bay Packers. Ricky Dwyer had played football at Green Bay West. He was an end, started for the Packers in 1920. He was a fairly decent football player, but he had a terrible accident on the railroad. In late November, he slipped under a railroad car at about three in the morning, cried for help, was rushed to local hospital, had an arm and a leg amputated. He was in really, really tough shape, and they actually ran a benefit game for him to help in his expenses. Neil Murphy organized it. They picked up two teams, mostly a Packers inner squad game, Bellevue Ice Creams and the Northern Paper Mills. One wore East High's uniform, the other wore St. Norbert's uniforms. Raised enough money that Murphy was able to take a check for more than $4,000 and present it to Dwyer in the hospital bed. Tough story, but also heartwarming and what they did for him to raise that money and help with his medical expenses. All right, good stuff there, man. A little bit long, but I'm glad we covered it, man. So many good stories there. Carly, you were cracking me up in the chat. What, what did you think about that video? What stood out to you? It it was it was just really cool. I don't know a lot about the history of the Packers, um, mm -hmm. but, you know, I think it's so cool just to see how this little homegrown thing for, you know, had just so many people interested in it and doing it not for any get rich quick thing or something but just for the love of the game right and the love of the city and the love of this um these people and how it really is like the definition of i feel like grassroots and now to see how it has become a global phenomenon i mean a lot of that has to do with the nfl too right and its business model and just how successful it's been overall but really the packers for being the team that it is. And I love that Lambeau Field is not going to and hopefully never, ever will be sponsored by any big company or anything like that. You know, it's always going to be Lambeau Field. You're not going to get the name changing every three years with these, you know, these rights selling and all that. So it's just, yeah, it's awesome. I think that's a great video. It's a great find. No, I, I completely agree. I think it's, and that's why when people, people don't know what they're talking about when they say, you know, they'll go to like the whole mindset of, well, the Packers need an owner and owners not having an owner is what's holding them back. It's the biggest crock of crap, man. Like if we had an owner, the team would be somewhere else by now. I'm going to tell you this. You're not going to find a bigger Curly Lambeau fan than me. He's my favorite Packer. When someone says, who's your favorite Packer all the time? I always say Curly. I don't know how it can be anybody other than Curly, the guy who founded it. But if he had gotten ownership of that team, I think he would have moved to California. I really do because he was a big California guy. Um, but, uh, you know, yeah, it's just a, a fascinating story all the way around. But, uh, Tim, what do you think, buddy? Anything stuck out to you, man? You, I mean, you live right there in the shadows of many of the things that, you know, places where that video was kind of shot, right? Uh, they sort I mean, of I could walk to the old Hagemeister Park yeah. from where I'm at. And, uh, you know, we talked about Curly's birthplace, too, just down the street. Um, one of the coolest things about moving up here, I'm, I love this story and just being able as a as a fan you know i grew up in milwaukee you know this was always trips up north to to green bay were always treats and now to be able to live up here and just kind of soak this in all the time is it's a trip man and it never gets old every every time i'm <laughs> drive past curly's house on the way to the store or whatever it's just it never gets old and um you know it's just uh it is it's a blessing to be up here and 
you know, I, I love the history too. They, we talked about how big the football was, you know, like the, right, basically right. a rugby ball or, or whatever they were using back then. Um, and then you see the, the lineage, you talk about Curly and his, um, you know, his ties to Notre Dame and you see it bleed over into the early formation of the Packers when we finally had uniforms, you know, we had the blue, blue uniforms with the gold, you know, kind of look, it's very similar to the fighting Irish at Notre Dame. And you just right. see that the parallels and um, yep. it's just great. It's a start and history continues every day. You know, the, the story of the Packers continues to grow. And, um, you know, Carly's absolutely right too about Lambeau field. That's why I really appreciate what they did where they just chose to do the sponsorship with the gates. So you've yeah. got corporate sponsorship with your gates, uh, which actually is, you know, twofold because it helps fans figure out where the hell they're supposed to go in, you know, yeah. to the game too. So you, right. you can kind of see where these gates are. And, um, you know, a lot of those, those sponsorships, uh, most of them are, are local businesses here, bigger companies and, you know, Wisconsin based and things like that. Um, you know, our, our native American, uh, tribe up here, you know, Oneida nation. And yep. it's just so cool to see. And, um, yeah, man, SDN 40 hit it right there. Acme Packer uniforms, uh, legendary man for sure i love that when they wore the throw throwback the one they called the pool ball uniform and people made fun of it. like that looks so silly like you're, you're missing the whole concept yep. like the brown helmet represents the leather helmet yep. the understand that that number when they put that number on their jersey like that that was like you may look at it like oh that looks so tacky that's so stupid you know back then a team that could do that was like luxurious like oh my god look how they got mm -hmm. that that number sewn on the front like it was it was a big thing uh, what'd you think, Amelia? I, I loved it. And, you know, being able to first time uh, I went to Green Bay was last year. So um, being able to or year before, sorry, but being able to actually like see it now on film versus like when you've walked into the stadium and felt that it's crazy. And now you can you know, you see it in the games like, all right, that's where I was sitting. That's what it looks like. That's what it looks like driving down, you know, uh, whatever highway that is when you see the G in the distance at the yeah, top right. and, uh, you know, coming up, it, it's just crazy. And the fact that, you know, they've built it around that small town and they've, you know, they're not uh, they're not taking the taxpayers dollar. Everyone's willing to to help the team out, you know, and that's always been like that. And I love that, that, uh, you know, they've never gotten away from that. If yeah, you want to help them, help them. Right. You know, um, we're not going to force your hand at anything. But uh, that's why we're so lucky that, you know, the, the Packers are ours and, you know, is, is the, um, you know, the fan run team. Yeah, but, uh, it's just awesome. Definitely, man. And, and, you know, when you learned it like, okay, Hegemeister Park, and they played at Bellevue for a short time. That was all over on the east side of the Fox River, over there where, you know, Tim's from. And then when they decided, hey, we need to build new city stadium, right? They First of all, if I remember correctly, it was Hegemeister Park. They were at Bellevue for a year, and then they built city stadium, and that was for East Green Bay High later on where East Green Bay High plays now. And then once they got to the point where they outgrew that stadium, they bought the land on the west side where they ended up building Lambeau Field, which was called New City Stadium. And then, of course, when Curly Lambeau passes away, they named it Lambeau Field. But, yeah, I, everything you guys said, I, I could just echo it. Um, just that, like Cliff Crystal, you've seen him there, the team historian, right? And he's got the book series, which you guys need to buy. It is unbelievable. Yep. It's called the, the Greatest Story in Sports. And this whole documentary that we're covering this offseason – it is basically the audio video version of that book. And you can see some really cool images in there. It's just, it's really, really, really awesome. So um, thought it was cool too, that they mentioned Neil Murphy. And I want to mention this, that interview where you can see them interviewing his son 
Neil Murphy is an unsung hero, and it's like nobody really tied him to the Packers much until someone had uncovered some old documents where he was more or less acting as the owner at the time of the team. And you can see his son, Neil Murphy's son, in that documentary, in that interview, get emotional. I think he's in Florida, and they're interviewing him at his home. And it was just like he finally felt vindicated, like that his his father, Neil, is finally getting the credit he deserved for how he helped you know, build the Packers into what they were, just his small role that he played. So you guys can find that. If you type in Neil Murphy on YouTube, you can probably find that that interview with his son. And it's just really cool seeing him get emotional because it it means so much to him that his family is just has a small part of the history there and the involvement in, you know, in the Packers and, and their survival. So, yeah, there's going to be many, many more stories. I'm trying to keep them to five minutes or less. But every time I'm cutting those clips, I'm going, man, this is good, too. Like, let's just include it. So, anyway, we're way over. Appreciate everybody hanging out with us. I just want to give a shout-out to everybody in the chat. You guys were phenomenal in here keeping this thing going. I um, want to give a special shout-out to Mace Taggart for the Super Chat. Appreciate you, buddy. Always supporting the stream. You're awesome. Um, Carly, Emilio, Tim, thank you all for your time. A lot of fun. We'll be back tonight, most likely. I know it's Friday, <laughs> isn't it, if I remember correctly. Yeah. Maybe yeah. sister's coming into town tonight, so I may – I may be able to do a show. They'll they'll hang out and she, you know, anytime a sister. <laughs> yeah. her sister You're not gonna hang out with her. You're not gonna hang out with her. You're just gonna use the opportunity to get another show in. Well, gotcha. what happens? It's actually quite the opposite, Carly. When her sister comes into town, Mandy, it's like Clayton doesn't exist anymore, right? She he just gets thrown to the side. So we'll use that for a reason to make it seven days in a row that I haven't left the house. So there you, there you go. go. Well, that being said, we're out of here. Appreciate y'all hanging out with us. We'll see you tonight. Uh, as always, let's go out and be the change we want to see in the world. Go Pack Go.